Well, good morning, everybody. You can find your seats. And uh, we are finishing up our series in the book of Luke. One thing I did want to mention, uh, on the offering table back there, there's a connection card. So if you're old school and you don't do technology live page, you can write prayer requests on there anytime. We pray over those, typically at our staff meeting on Fridays. Uh, they're confidential. You can put them in there and we look through those. And then uh, also back there, you'll find um, some cards you can use to hand out to folks as an opportunity to hopefully have a conversation with them about your relationship with God. And then you'll find these. These are missionaries that have gone out from our church and our partnerships. And then this is what we uh, should have been praying for last week, but I'm sure if you pray this week, God won't be offended. Uh, it's, for our, it's for our international missionaries around the world. We support um, about four, between four and 5,000 international missionaries. Our church gives um, 7% of what we bring in uh, to support that kind of mission work. Um, then we give another 3% to support um, area mission work around our, our general area, and then we give another 5%. So we give 15% of every dollar that comes in goes outside of us to mission work. And those are just some of the folks that you can connect with, pray for, um, that are serving around the globe. Uh, and the reason I mention that is because, again, our series in the book of Luke has been to seek and to save. Because Jesus said that he came, the Son of Man, this was Jesus speaking, came to seek and to save the lost. People that didn't know that maybe God wanted to seek them out. They didn't know they needed to be saved. They didn't even know they were lost. But Jesus came to say, all of those things are true about humanity. And I came so that you could have a way. You could have a way of knowing what life's really about. And I came to seek and to save you. And maybe you're a person who thinks, I don't, I don't need to be saved. I'm good. It's those other people. It's those people I see that are really destitute. And no, the Bible says that we're all in need. And, and if we're really honest, I, I joke about this with the guy I work with sometimes doing construction. It's like, if we're really honest, we're only a few bad decisions away from the people we look at and think, wow, their life's a mess. Just a couple. Like, you just make a couple of bad decisions and you're there. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like a dozen. It could, like three and you're in their mess, right? And, and so often, Jesus is trying to come to tell us that, look, the world around you is in trouble, and God hasn't stopped loving you. He hasn't stopped seeking you out. As a matter of fact, I'm God in the flesh, and I'm seeking and making it clear that that's what I'm doing. And so as we've walked through the book of Luke, each week we look at a question from the passage. And this week's question is, aren't you the Messiah? The Messiah means the one who is to come to save. The Old Testament talked about a Messiah, someone who would come to save the people of God, God's people. And so Aren't you the Messiah? In other words, we're coming down to the end of this passage. And if you remember last week, Jesus has been arrested. He, he, he has been arrested and betrayed by one of his best friends. Judas has betrayed him. He warned Judas numerous times, telling him, don't do this. This is going to wreck your life. Judas didn't care. Judas was about money. We looked at that last week. He was about getting ahead. He, Judas had finally come to the place where he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah that was supposed to come. And the reason we talked about this was because Jesus didn't look like the Messiah Judas wanted. He didn't look like this warrior who was going to come with swords. As a matter of fact, he told them to put their swords away and then put the ear back on of a guy that got his ear cut off by one of his disciples to say this is not how this is going to go down right now. There will come a day when there will be judgment. But right now, I'm not that kind of Messiah I'm a savior that's going to do something that humanity fully will reject unless my God, my Father, me, is drawing you to me and you respond in your free will. And so here you are, and, and, and this question keeps coming up all through Jesus' ministry. Are, are you really the one? And isn't this the question you ask, especially for those of you who are college students, right? You want to find the one the Messiah of your life and marriage and spend your life with them, right? They're going to save me from myself. And If you think that, do not get married because you are going to crucify that Messiah. I guarantee it because that's what we're going to see in this passage. If you believe that there's someone else that's going to save you, then you have an idol in your life and God does not like idols. He destroys them. And he'll destroy that to get your attention if that person keeps you from him. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I need saving? How about this? 
might I need saving someday? You know you don't get out of this life alive, right? You realize that atheism is a minority of the world belief for like all of human history. Like 98% of human history is people believing in a afterlife. The minority, the crazy minority is people that don't believe that there's something after death. And really, you don't believe that either. You don't live your life as if you don't need help and everything's going to turn out okay. You know better than that. (laughs) You know it's not going to end well. And yet, Jesus came to say, I I love you enough to show you that there's a way. There's, There's a person that loves you more than anyone could. There's a Savior that's coming that wants to take you right where you're at and save you. You can't save yourself, and he has come. And so we pick up our story, and here we find ourselves. This is Luke twenty-two sixty. 60. We talked about this last week. Where we find ourselves leaving in the story, Jesus is now standing before the ruling council. He's been arrested by the rulers, the religious rulers and political leaders of his day. And it says, immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Remember, Peter was Jesus' closest follower. He was the one that kind of led the church when Jesus ascended to heaven. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, there's also a part of this that for those of us who have made the decision to believe that Jesus is the Savior, there are going to be times in your life where this happens. When when you forget who your Messiah is and you start trying to save your own skin by denying things, by covering things up, by not telling the truth. And it's amazing to me that in this moment, Jesus looks right at him. He warned Peter, looks right at him, I'm sure with eyes of compassion, like Peter. And Peter just breaks down and weeps because he realizes, I denied him too. And yet Jesus is getting ready to save Peter, the man who denied him. He's getting ready to save and offer salvation to all these people who are treating him like dirt. He's getting ready to give his life to say, I still care about you. I'm still going to do this. Even though you're going to treat me like this. You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You're going to beat me. You're going to do all these things to me and I'm not going to stop seeking. Listen, there is no other God on the face of the planet that presents that case. All the other gods are, you better get your act in order, you better work to my standard, and if you don't, you're in trouble, and I'm gonna get you. That is not the God of our book. Does God judge? Absolutely. Will he get us? Absolutely, if we don't submit to him and surrender to his salvation plan. But he doesn't ask us to do something we can't. Then he goes on, we'll pick up the story. The men who were holding Jesus, these were the religious leaders, uh, soldiers, started mocking and beating him. I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus is here, he looks at Peter, Peter's weeping, and they are beating Jesus. They're mocking him. This is bullying beyond bullying. This is is ridiculous. He has done nothing but be caring to people. He's healed people. He's told them the truth when no one else would tell them the truth. When everybody else was using people, Jesus just spoke the truth to them because he cared about them. Sometimes that truth was really hard to hear when you read the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The words of Jesus can be very cutting, but he did it because he cared enough to tell the truth to people, not to let him just believe a lie. And here we find them beating him, mocking him for no reason. After blindfolding him, they put a blindfold on him. They kept asking him, prophesy who hit you. In other words, you can tell the future to your disciples. You warned Judas about what he was going to do and Peter. What he was, you, can, you say you can future tell. Well, then future tell. Who just hit you? I mean, I want you to put yourself in this scene for a minute. This man who, who was a great son, who lived 30 years in Nazareth, Nazareth, taking care of his brothers and sisters, working a construction job, waiting on his heavenly father to tell him to go start his ministry. And then he starts his ministry and he calls some young men to come with him and he teaches them and he heals people and he loves people and he plays with kids. And like, this is the guy that's like, wow. And this is how his life is ending up. Because we live in a world that can't stand to be told they're wrong. And you and I are people that can't stand to be told we're wrong. And when we do, we have two choices. We either believe in God and we repent and we say we're sorry, 
And we start beating people. We beat up whoever we can find to beat them up. Because I'm right and you're not. That's how every war starts. And then they were saying many other blasphemous things against him. It goes on, it says, When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before the San, their Sanhedrin. Now you've got to remember, the Sanhedrin was the supreme court. You think that America has this unique like, government system? It's not unique. It actually was thought up because someone read the book of Isaiah, and in the book of Isaiah it says, God is our, our king, God is our lawgiver, and God is our judge. And somebody said, wow, only God can hold three branches of power. We should separate those. And before that, God had a ruling council. These were the supreme court. These were the, the law people. When they had a king, they had a Sanhedrin, a ruling council, a supreme court. This was the supreme court of Jesus' day. And in every city, there would be a Sanhedrin. There'd be a group of teachers, rabbis, in every city that was smaller than this, this Sanhedrin. But then they would appeal to the higher Sanhedrin, this one, when they had problems. Does that make sense? It's a court system very similar to ours today. They bypassed all the court systems to put Jesus in front of the Supreme Court. That's not how it works. That's not how it was supposed to work. But they didn't care what the law said. They didn't care what was legal or how things were supposed to happen. They had a vendetta. They were ready to mock. They were ready to kill. We've decided we're right, and now we're going to take you on. And you think this is unique to this time period? This is what we see happening today. Listen, I'm not a big fan of President Trump. Just telling you. He's my president. I'm to pray for him. I'm to submit to my leaders as much as I can if they're not asking me to deny Jesus. But what's happening in our court system is a mockery. It's not following our law, and it's the same in Jesus' day. It's mock, it's beat, it's offend, and then go get the Supreme Court to make a decision to make everybody submit, and then we can get the army involved and make them all submit. That, that's what this is. He goes on, he says, then they said, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Messiah, are you the Messiah? Tell us. In other words, tell us you're the Messiah. Say with your mouth, I am the Messiah. Listen, this was a trap. They weren't asking because they really wanted to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. This was not a, hey, we're having, we really want to hear your testimony. We want to hear your side of the argument. They had already decided he wasn't, and they already had their evidence ready to kill him, to destroy him. Because look what happens. But he said to them, if I do tell you, you will not believe. In other words, why do I even waste the words on you? I've already, listen, he's already talked to them numerous times about who he is. Read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how many times he confronts these religious leaders and tells them and makes it clear who he is. And he goes, you're not going to believe. So I could sit here and say, I'm the Messiah. It's, you're still going to do what you want to do. It doesn't matter what the truth is. We're not trying to get truth here. We're trying to get a crucifixion. We're not trying to get to the truth. We're just trying to kill somebody. We've already decided we're going to kill somebody, and now we're just trying to figure out how to make that happen. That's what's going on here. And he says, but he said to them, and if I ask you, you will not answer. In other words, if I ask you, will you do you think I'm the Messiah? They're not going to answer that because they're still afraid of the people because it's daytime now. They went, and If you remember in the story, it said they went and got him at night because they were afraid of the people. Now it's daytime, Right? So they're not going to answer whether they think he's the Messiah or not. And then he says, look at this. But from now on, the Son of Man, remember, the Son of Man, which is the theme of Luke's book, the quote from the Son of Man is an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one that would come from man to save his people, but was also the Son of God. And look what happens. He says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. That was offensive. You want to know why? These guys were sitting down. See, the way the Sanhedrin convened is they would sit down like the Supreme Court, and if they stood up, it meant they were getting ready to make a proclamation, a declaration. For him to say, you all are sitting down thinking you have authority, I'm actually the one that's going to sit at the right hand of God and have authority over you. You think you're the Supreme Court? I'm the Supreme Court. And they completely understand what he's saying, because look what happens. They all ask, are you then the Son of God? 
You think you can sit by the right hand of God? No one can be in God's presence unless he's God. It's not possible. They get what he's saying. They understand he's proclaiming that he is a God. Listen, Jesus is either God or we believe the craziest human being and lunatic on the face of the planet. You are in a crazy, weird religion and you need to run. Because we got a guy claiming that he is God in the flesh in front of a courtroom. He is either God or he's the craziest lunatic and we need to run from Christianity and run from this message as fast as we can. Either Christianity is real or all the other religions, they're the ones we need to find one of those that fits because they all seem to be similar. This one's really different. He goes on and it says, and he said to them, I love this. Are you then the son of God? And he said to them, you say that I am. <laughs> That's so annoying. See, they've already made a straw man argument, right? Where they've said, this is what X is, right? So it's, so, so it's like, are you the Messiah? But that's really not what they're going after. They're going after why, which is we're really trying to get to the fact, do you believe you're God? Because we know you think you do. And so we're, we're going to ask this Messiah question so that we can say, no, he said he was God. But then you won't answer our Messiah question, so then we're just going to bring in another accusation to say, oh, well, you believe you're God. I didn't say it. You, you said it. See, Jesus is so genius. He's, he's making people believe in him by faith. He's giving all the evidence needed, but he's not just going to come out and say, yeah. He, he's saying, well, what do you believe? And he says, you're the ones that say that I am. And when he says the word I am, he's saying the name of God from the Old Testament. You say I'm Yahweh. You, you just said I'm Yahweh. Thank you. Like it would be this moment where he looks at me and he goes, yeah, you, you say I'm Yahweh. Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. No, I, I didn't say that. And you see in straw man arguments, when someone does this X, Y, and, and they're not talking about the truth of X, they just bring in Y to try to disprove X, what always happens in those arguments is another argument. It always ends up with the person saying, let's go back to the original question of who you think I am. That's what we're discussing here today. And he goes on and he says, why do we need any more testimony, they said, since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. What? No, they heard it from their own mouth. Did Jesus say he was the Messiah in front of that court at that moment? Well, kind of, but not really. Did he say, yes, I am the son of God and you need to submit to me or I'm gonna send lightning bolts and kill you? Is, is that what he? This is a kangaroo court. That's what this is. This is the most terrible injustice you could ever see and the reason Jesus wasn't answering are you ready for this is because he's trying to get them to see that you're going to kill me for what's true you're not going to kill me for something that's false you're actually going to kill me and go out in public and say this guy and his followers and anybody that follows him believes he's the Messiah and the son of God and Jesus is like thank you that's exactly what I've been doing for the last three and a third years. That's exactly what my ministry's been about. I appreciate you're going to go out and do that now for me. And that's exactly what they do. When Jesus is crucified, he comes back from the dead. They pursue Christians all over the empire to kill them because they believe he's the Messiah and the Son of God. And they are literally going to try and kill him. Are you ready for this? They are going to put the law on Jesus that he is the Son of God and the Messiah. They're going to declare that that he actually believes he's the son of God and Messiah. Jesus is going, exactly. That's what I've been trying to tell you. I'm willing, you ready for this? I'm willing to die for that. I'm willing to die for what you say. Question is, are you? What are you gonna die for? You're gonna die. What are you gonna die for? I'm willing to die for the fact that I am the son of God. I'm willing to lay down my life goes on, it says this, their whole assembly rose up and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse Jesus, saying, we found this man subverting our nation, opposing payment of taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked them, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him. I love it. He says, yeah, it's as you said, yeah, that's what you, sure. Now he's got the Roman government declaring him the king of kings and lord of lords. 
Like he's getting the Roman government now to declare the truth about him without having to declare it himself. And then he goes on and he says, he answered, you've said it. Pilate then told the chief priests and the crowds, I find no grounds for charging this man. See, they lied. Jesus never tried to subvert the nation of Israel. He tried to save them. He wasn't trying to subvert them. He was trying to get them to see that they had drifted so far from God, they desperately needed to repent and come back to him. He wasn't trying to create a new nation. He was trying to get them to see the purpose for why they were a nation. That was the point. And then he says, they opposed the payment of taxes to Caesar. Jesus never opposed the payment of taxes. He never did. Not once. He actually, Peter came to him one day and said, we need to pay taxes. And Jesus is like, go catch a fish. So Peter caught a fish. He said, in the fish, there'll be a couple of coins. Take the coins, pay the taxes. That's exactly what happened. He did not pay his taxes. He paid his taxes. He did what he was supposed to do. But see, they're, they're accusing with these false, wild accusations because Jesus challenged the government. He challenged what you do with your money. He challenged the way that the Pharisees and religious leaders used their temple taxes. And he challenged that. And they know that if they say, this guy's coming, Pilate, to come into your little region of Rome, and he's going to raise up a subversion like before, you know those other times when the Romans, Romans right, Jewish people who believed they were Messiah and wanted to start a war, and then they said, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, we're going to keep the money, and then they went and bought weapons, and then they went to war, and then Rome has to send a military uh, uh, legion to come and, and destroy the Jews and push them down, and then you get fired because you didn't do your job to make peace with the Jews. You remember that, Pilate? That's what's getting ready to happen. You, you better do something about this. And then he says, are you the Messiah? Like, are you the king of the Jews? He's like, yeah, sure, that's what you believe. Pilate's looking at this and going, this guy doesn't seem like he's leading a subversion. I don't, where's his followers? Like, there's, I don't see him like, you guys drug him here. He doesn't even seem to be fighting back. I don't find any grounds to accuse this guy. Like, he's not trying to overthrow anything. He goes on and it says, but they kept insisting. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he started even to hear. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. For a long time, Herod had wanted to see him because he heard about, the, about him and was hoping to see some miracle performed by him. I love this. Pilate's trying to find a way to get out of this so that someone else has to suffer the consequences of making a decision about who Jesus really is. Isn't this what people do? Well, that's what you believe, and that's good for you. No, either Jesus is who he really says he is or he's not, and there are grave consequences to believing either side. We can't walk a middle ground here. And Pilate says, I don't want to have to make this decision. I don't want to have this on my head. And if you know the time period, Pilate was fighting some serious political battles within Rome at this time period. So he was trying to be real careful how he maneuvered things because he didn't want to lose his position with what was going on politically in Rome. And it goes on, and he says, I'm going to send him to Herod. And look at what Herod says. See, Herod was part Jew. He was part Israelite, part of God's people, but he really wasn't. He was... He claimed to be, but really wasn't. He built a, a temple for the Jews because he wanted to politically get them in with him. Does that make sense? He was a master politician and manipulator. Kind of the way that Christians are manipulated today in our politics. Manipulated by master politicians. It's exactly what we see going on here. He says, is he a Galilean? Okay, we'll send him to Herod. Herod wants to see a miracle. Herod doesn't care who Jesus is. He just wants to see a good show. Herod built the temple because he wanted to see a good show. He, he just, Herod's all about pleasure, about feeling, whatever works. Whatever works for you, you do. And so he brings Jesus. He's like, I just want to see this guy work. I just want to see something happen. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, then he, ah, ah, Venomously accusing him. I hate that. 
You guys are laughing because you know I do this all the time. Then Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt, mocked him, dressed him up in a brilliant robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Listen, this is always what happens. When people don't behave the way we want them to behave, we don't go to the truth, we don't go to the law, we always go to finding a way to tear down their character, to attack them and mock them and get a group of people on our side that's stronger than their side so that we can take over. This has been going on for all of human history. It's not just white people. It's not just Indians. It's not just black people. It's not just Asia. It's, this is what humanity does. We war against each other for people's stuff and for our own character and our own integrity. Jesus is doing all the opposite of that in this moment. When he has every right to declare the truth about who he is, call down fire from heaven to kill everyone, Jesus is patiently going through the process. And it says, that day, Herod and Pilate became friends. You ever heard the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Wait, I thought Herod liked those Jews. I, he built a temple for them. But he's, he's a pretty good guy. He's, he's pretty wise. He's sharp. And he's not going to give those Pharisees what they want either. I think we can get along if we're not going to give these guys what they want. They're politicians politicians and it goes on and it says Pilate called together the chief priests the leaders of the people and said to them you have brought me this man as one who subverts the people but in fact after examining him in your presence I find no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of isn't it interesting that God's people God's court is trying Jesus and a completely secular ungodly court is trying to say I don't see what you see Listen, the church can be some of the most wicked moments in human history, just like here. You don't think the Roman church was wicked when they were telling people you could be saved by going and dying in a crusade to take back Jerusalem? Selling indulgences to people to build cathedrals? That whatever the Pope says, even if it's not biblical, we're never going to go back and say it was wrong that he said it because they still haven't to this day and popes said really evil, wicked things that need to be repented of and they haven't repented from those popes. I'm not saying that there weren't Christians there. There were people that were Christians. I'm not saying there aren't Christians in the Catholic Church. There are people in the Catholic Church that are Christians. But I'm telling you that when government gets involved in church, and church tries to make a government and make people submit to it, this is the mess you get. That doesn't mean there isn't governance in the church. It means we have to be very careful with what we do and what we say and how we do it, or we'll end up right here. And he says, neither has Herod because he sent him back to us. Clearly, clearly, Jesus has done nothing wrong. Listen, Herod doesn't want an uprising. He wants to please the Jews. I don't want an uprising. We can't find anything wrong with this person. Listen, if you were drugged before the Supreme Court and they were trying to find any accusation on you, not just one, but any accusation they could find to kill you, would it be said of you, we could find no fault in this man? No accusation by which to, like, I don't know about you, but there'd be a line of people they would find to bring right in and be like, I got an accusation. And my family would be the first one in the line. Like, I, I have to tell the truth. I'm a Christian, so go ahead and question me. Yep, he did that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, he did that too. Like, no accusation. It goes on and it says, therefore I will have him whipped and release him. For according to the festival... Pilate had to release someone to them. It was kind of a deal they had with the Romans. It was during the Passover festival, God passed over the people. The Romans would say, well, in, in, in observance of your Passover, we'll let justice pass over one person of your choosing. Because and, and, we like your little festival. We like your little Christmas and Easter. We, so we're going to let you release someone. That's a good deal, isn't it? It goes on, it says, then they all cried out together, take this man away and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown in prison for rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Wait, so let me get this straight. You want, to, you want me to release someone for the reason you want to crucify this guy? Hold on. You say that this guy's subverting the nation, but you want me to release a guy that actually subverted and killed people. 
Listen, when you're this far gone in your heart of wickedness and you're standing by, I'm right and I won't be told, you will do stuff like this. You are capable of this and it's awful. And this is what Jesus is trying to save them from. And it says, Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. He's like, wait, like this is, I love how Pilate is this, like the only sensible person in this is a wicked government Roman. This is such a judgment on God's people, on us. It says, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Listen, Pilate's at a dilemma. You've got an entire Sanhedrin, probably 70 plus men of religious influence and rabbis standing before you, the Supreme Court of their little side government, standing before you saying, you better crucify this guy. Listen, the reason they couldn't crucify him because under Roman law, they weren't allowed and they weren't allowed because it was Passover. They're disobeying Passover. Listen, you could have looked at him and said, hey, are you going to stay in town, Jesus, till after Passover? Yeah, I plan to be here for, till you kill me. They could have waited and obeyed the law of Passover and said, we're going to pass over what we think we want to do for you until after Passover, and then we're going to get you. They couldn't do it. They were so worked up, so evil, so mean. I have no patience, no time. we got to get you. When they knew it was against their law. And then it says, a third time he said to them, why? This is a third time. Pilate is doing everything he can to save Jesus' life, and he doesn't even believe anything that Jesus believes. He doesn't believe the Bible. He doesn't believe anything. And Pilate can see that this is a mockery. And he looks at him and he says, I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him whipped and release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that Jesus be crucified. And their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. Guys, this is the kind of stuff that we see going on in our own country right now. You know this. This is what we see going on. And it's not one side of the political aisle. I am not saying this is good for Trump. Listen, ultra-conservatives would have done this to Obama if they could have. They tried to with the birth certificate issue. So don't tell me it's one side or the other. It's a bunch of people running around. We don't care what truth is. We just want it to work out well for us so I can have a good bank account, a good house, and be left alone. And this is what you see. Pilate's going, this is crazy. Then it says, but he handed over Jesus, over to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. Then this man that's just coming in, what's going on? He walks in and a soldier looks at him and says, you carry this right now. And if you disobeyed a soldier... They could kill you right there on the spot. And isn't it interesting that Jesus multiple times asked his followers to pick up their cross and follow me. And in this moment, an evil, wicked government says the message of this man is to pick up a cross and follow him. Pick up the cross and follow him. A wicked government was more willing to call people to follow Jesus than his own followers, his own people. This guy didn't really have a choice, and here he is. Can you imagine being him, carrying this cross of this man, and you're like, what has he done? And he's not trying to fight back. He, he's probably praying as he's going. He's, and you're just like, what is this? Maybe he knew about him. There's even a question whether this man was, was dark-skinned because of the region he was from. And so you got this white Roman soldier asking this dark-skinned man to carry this cross for Jesus. There's all kinds of stuff going on in this story that just like is, oh my goodness. Then it goes on. And remember, we're at the Christmas season. Because there was another decree that was sent out. This decree was given by Pilate. This decree was given by this Roman soldier to carry a cross. There was a decree given at the beginning of Jesus' life 
And it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was one of the house and family and the line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Joseph was obeying a secular order to go register, you ready for this? And declare that Mary and I are both from the line of David. And now we see Jesus being crucified because we've got people that don't believe that he is actually the king that comes from the line of David. How dare you declare you're the one? Well, it was declared in Bethlehem I was the one. It goes on and it says this. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting him. Here you have this moment when he's born and there's this, this beautiful moment and the heavens are rejoicing and he comes and his parents have submitted and now there's this large crowd of people following him and it even has these women, they're mourning and lamenting. They recognize that once you've been given the sentence of crucifixion, that's it. There's no more appeals. There's no way he gets out. It's not like our justice system where it's like up until the final moment you can keep them from injecting the needle. Didn't work that way in Roman law. As soon as you were declared crucified, you're crucified. You're dead until you're dead. And they would break your legs. They would stab you. They would do everything they could to make sure you were dead because we have to do that. Otherwise, the Roman government will kill us for not killing you. So there's no way out of this, and the women know this. They've seen crucifixion before. They've seen these lynchings before. They know what's getting ready to happen. And look, it says, a large crowd is following him, and there are women who are mourning. Notice it says that it doesn't say there are men who are mourning. I wonder what the men were doing. Were some of his disciples just holding back tears? Didn't want to show they really believed in him? Good men do. I want to let anybody know what's really going on in my heart. And these women are like, we believed in him. And he's dying and we don't know why. And they're weeping. And it says, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem. I love that. He calls them daughters. My daughters. That's, that's a term of endearment. Not, hey, you ladies, right? <laughs> daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say, the woman without children, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed are fortunate. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? What Jesus is saying there is he's saying, you know, right now, I'm here, I'm present with you. It's green. God's presence is with you. What's going to happen when God's presence is no longer with you? What he's referencing is someday when the judgment comes, the Bible says that his presence will no longer be in the earth like it is now in the power of the Holy Spirit and there's going to be judgment on the earth and when that judgment happens, it's going to be dry and it is going to be nothing but mourning. And he says, you better watch yourselves. Don't mourn about me dying. This was the plan. Mourn for what's getting ready to come the next time you see me <laughs> the next time I come back. And the angel came near and said to Mary, rejoice, favored woman. Here you have these daughters of Zion weeping. And when Jesus is born, Mary is rejoicing. And he says, you are a favored woman. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine Mary in this moment watching your son be crucified in a kangaroo court? He's completely had the justice system maligned on his behalf. And then you remember what an angel said to you. You kind of remember when angels say stuff to you. I don't know if you know that. You probably never had an angel spoke to you. But I bet you if an angel spoke to you, you'd remember what they said. You'll never forget it. I bet you if you had grandma speak to you something really serious, you, don't remember, you probably don't forget what grandma said to you, right? If an angel speaks, that's going to really get your attention. Mary never forgot this. Can you imagine her watching her son and thinking, how am I a favored woman? How is this rejoicing? How is this good? I thought my son was going to be the Messiah. How do I rejoice over this? 
Listen, you may be going through things saying, how do I rejoice over the, the mess that's been made of my life, the mess I've made, the mess someone else made? How do I even rejoice in this miserable world we're in? Because God's favor is on those who believe in him. That's why. And it goes on, it says, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. You'd be troubled if an angel showed up to you too. And then it says, the angel told her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus. Remember, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. That's what it means. He's the Messiah. He's the Yahweh who saves. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Did he just not get called the son of God? Did he just not get called the son of God? Then it goes on. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Didn't Jesus just say, I'm gonna sit at the right hand of the throne of God? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Listen, Mary's gotta be struggling at this moment to try to make sense out of how this works with this. Goes on. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's slave, Mary said. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. May it be done according to your word. Not my wants, not my court, not what I think should happen, but whatever you say, I'll obey. And see, Jesus is doing exactly that. He knows that he is the Passover lamb. Listen, Jesus is being crucified at the same moment that the Passover lambs would have been having their throats slit and bled out at the temple right next door to where he's being crucified. He is the Passover lamb. The reason we don't do the sacrifices anymore in the Old Testament is because he's the final sacrifice. We don't have to do them anymore. We're not looking forward to as Messiah. We have him. We're not looking forward to someone who will die for us. He's already died. And then it goes on and it says this, the two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. So listen, crucifixion, you know, you got all the soldiers there, you're economically smart. How many people we need to kill today? Well, let's get some other guys to kill. Like we might as well do it all and make sure it's done. Like, and it makes a better show when you have multiple people hanging or, or being crucified. And people came out to watch. This was the public spectacle of the day. This was the event of the day. This is what you did. Hey, some people are getting crucified today. Let's go watch. Let's go watch God get those sinners. Let's go, let's go, yeah, oh, that's just so tragic. Oh, honey, isn't that terrible? Look at them. Oh, that's just bad. Look at all that blood. Look at, oh, it's just terrible. Oh, bless their soul. Aren't we the same way? Isn't there something in you that when you see someone who does something wrong, get it, you're like, yeah, yeah. Watch what Jesus does. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one at the right, one at the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes. On a cross, naked, pictures up and we clean that up. We show him a little loincloth and that's not the way crucifixion worked. Crucifixion, the point of crucifixion was humiliation. They stripped you naked on purpose. To say you don't ever want to be put on display naked, do you? You better listen to the Romans. You don't ever want to suffer like this, do you? You better do what the Romans tell you to do. And Jesus in the moment, look at this, Jesus in the moment, knowing that he was the son of God, knowing that his mother, what his mother had been taught, watching his mother suffer, because she was at the foot of the cross, you see in another passage in the Gospels, he's watching all of this happen, and there should be such anger, such emotion, such I'm going to get him in his heart, and he looks out and he cries out, listen, when you're on a cross, do you know what you die from in crucifixion? You die from suffocation. The Romans kept you alive so you could suffocate in front of people. The reason they came along and broke your knees is because then you would fall and you couldn't breathe and then you would die. For Jesus to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing, he would have to literally grab the nails and push on the nail in his foot and stand up and say it out loud for everyone to hear. 
I want to seek and to save you. You are lost. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to, don't, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Would you do that for somebody? When you know you had a kangaroo court, when you've been falsely accused, when all this goes down? And here is our God. No other God on the face of the planet like this. And then it said, the people stood watching and even leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah. In other words, we believe God's Messiah will act this way. He's not acting this way, so he can't be God's Messiah. He's not giving us what we want, and we want a ruler, and we want a military guy that's going to come in and get rid of Pilate, get rid of Herod, and then we're going to rule, and he's not that guy, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you're some kind of king, then call your warriors to come save you, Mr. King. How long could you take the mocking knowing that you had angels right at the whim, right at the edge of the gate of heaven, ready? I mean, it just would say, Gabriel, and it's over. And because you love these people and you know that their sin has to be judged and your heavenly father is an ultimate judge who will destroy sin and if you don't die for these people, there is no hope for them. This is the only way that this can happen. And look, this is, an inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. The Romans declared the truth. This is the son of David who went to Bethlehem to be registered with his parents, born in Bethlehem, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, save yourself and save us. Listen, this is the modern Christian message right here. God, I'm in a mess. I need help. And if you're real and you'll come and you'll get me out of the mess I'm in, then I'll believe in you. You give me what's good, what I think is good for you. You give me what I want, and then, and then I'll follow you. Then, then I'll believe in you. Goes on. But the other criminal answered, rebuking the other criminal. Listen, to have this discussion, they have to pull themselves up on nails. They have to catch a breath and state and then drop back down. This guy pulls up and says, don't you even fear God since you're undergoing the same punishment? Like, you're seriously, like, listen. He's looking at me like, seriously, dude, you're gonna mock this guy? Like, are you an idiot? Because he goes on, he says, we are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man's done nothing wrong. Pilate even said he did nothing wrong. Herod said he did nothing wrong. You and I are here because we did something wrong. See, the one guy won't repent. This guy repents. He admits openly to everyone crucifying after the trial's over, I did it. I deserve this. I should be dying right now. I, I'm, I'm guilty. He's saying it out loud for people to hear. Look at what happens in Luke 1, 67. This is Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's dad, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise the Lord God of Israel because he's visited and he's provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from our enemies' clutches to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness and in the presence of all our days. And he says to John, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Look at this. He says, there is going to be a shadow of death that you have to go through to get to peace. Jesus is going through the shadow of death on this cross, on your and I's behalf, so that we can have peace with the Trinity, with the family of God. It's exactly what Zechariah prophesied in the beginning of the book of Luke. He's looking and he's saying, look, he is going to come and he's going to save his people. Here's the problem. I don't want a savior like this. Because if this savior does this, he might ask me to do it. 
I don't want to die. I don't want to pick up a cross. I don't want to be falsely accused. I don't want to be mocked. I don't want to go through what he, I don't want to do any of that. So can't I just like accept Jesus and then just like wait for him to come back as my king and my Messiah and be like, and we're good, right? Like I prayed a prayer and got baptized. We're good. We're awesome. And I'm just waiting for you to come back and I can do whatever I want, right? You better check your heart because that's not the gospel. That's not believing Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is salvation a free gift? Absolutely. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to get it. It is completely God's grace. But when you understand, like that criminal on the cross did, how bad he is and how much grace God has had on you, and you look at the one who has had nothing, you're undone. You surrender as much as you know how in that moment. It goes on and it says this. Because remember, Zechariah prophesied about his, to his son, John the Baptist, and to the people. He said, God's holy prophets spoke of this Messiah. Isaiah was one of God's holy prophets. Isaiah came almost 700 years, it was about 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Now think about that. If you had to predict something about someone's life 700 years from now, could you predict it? The Bible is full of prophecies, hundreds of them, of predictions that came true in Jesus, his death, and his resurrection, and in his second coming, which hasn't happened yet. And Isaiah is writing, listen to this. This is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day missed. There are things you may be missing in your scripture. There may be things you're missing about your Jesus, and you need to start reading the Bible and getting into it so you don't end up like these religious leaders and miss the true picture that God has for your life. Because look at what Isaiah wrote, and you tell me how the religious scribes, guys who had the entire Bible memorized from front to back, they had this memorized, missed this. Who has believed? What we have heard, Isaiah says, 700 years before Jesus. And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Isn't this the question they asked about Jesus? Who are you? Who do you think you are that you're the Messiah that's been revealed to? The same question. We've heard you're the Messiah. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Remember he talked about a green tree and dryness? He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. It's common. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was, like some, he was like someone people turned away from him. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've turned on our own way and the Lord punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He didn't defend himself. Like a lamb led to slaughter. Wait, what's going on right now? Passover, where thousands of lambs are being slaughtered. And like a sheep silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of our rebellion. How did the religious leaders miss that? Can I just tell you, the same way we miss things. We've already predetermined in our mind the way God should be, how, how our life's going to be, what major we're going to have, what person we're going to how it's all going to work out. we got a plan. We got retirement. we got it all worked out. I'm following Dave Ramsey. He told me to do this, and he is God. I'm going to do it. We got it all worked out. And how dare God challenge me? How dare God say that I should? That's what God does. Am I against Dave Ramsey? No, he's got great principles. I just wish there was the final chapter in his material that said, oh, and by the way, God may call you to be poor and sell everything and give it to the poor. Because he did that multiple times in scripture. And he might just ask you to do that. He doesn't ask everybody to do that. He didn't ask Peter to do it. He didn't ask John. He didn't ask the other disciples. But he asked this, a few people. the same thing. He says he's cut off. He was struck and they totally missed it. 
Then he said, look at what this criminal says. I love this. He said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. What does that statement say this guy believed about Jesus? How can Jesus, who's dead, remember him? Unless he comes back to life. This criminal believed Jesus was coming back. But this wasn't the end. This criminal probably, maybe, believed Isaiah 53. I know that there's got to be somebody who dies and pays the penalty I deserve. And he looks, he says, would you remember me? Would you not forget me, please, when I come into your kingdom? He even recognizes, are you ready for this, that Jesus is a king and he has to stand before him and be judged. He has to come into his kingdom. There's not another kingdom he's going to. He's going to stand before Jesus and come into his kingdom. I recognize I deserve judgment. I recognize you're the king. I recognize that when you die, it's not over. And Jesus said to him, look at this, I assure you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. For a Jew to hear that word paradise, what it meant was, you will be with me in the promised land. What event are they celebrating? Passover, when Jesus, or when God passed over the sins of his people, delivered them out of their slavery, and led them to the promised land. See, the Bible is not a bunch of coincidences. The Bible follows a pattern. It, it, it's really clear. It's neat when you just kind of take the time to understand how truthful and real and consistent it is. It's not full of contradictions. It is so consistent, it's scary. It should, it should cause us to just be in awe. Because here this guy is, and he's saying, Jesus, please remember me. And Jesus looks at him and says, I assure you, you're forgiven. Today, today, you'll be with me. Today, before resurrection, your soul, and it's going to be awesome. I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> I'll just see you in a minute. Wait, today? Yeah, today, you will be with me in paradise. I mean, can you imagine him like sinking back down, not being able to breathe and thinking, we're both going to die here. <laughs> How are we going to both be today? My day's not working out too well for me. <laughs> Listen, can I tell you this? When you understand who Jesus really is, that he really is the Messiah, he really is the Son of God, when you understand that he came to seek and to save and he is the son of man that took the penalty for your sin that Isaiah said 700 years before he would do, when you understand that, then you say things like that. You say, Jesus, here I am. It's, it's me. I'm still a mess. I'm still, still wanting to walk with you. I, just remember me. And Jesus doesn't go, well, I'll remember you if you shape up. I'm trying to forget you. You drive me nuts. It's not what he says. <laughs> When you come to that moment where you're looking at him and you have that experience, Jesus looks at us eye to eye and he says, you, sir, ma'am, you can have the confidence that if you know me and you believe that this is what was supposed to happen and I am the king of the kings and the Lord of lords, that I do have a kingdom, if you believe in me, you will be with me in paradise when you die. It's a guarantee. You don't have to like try to keep it. You don't have to try to like get it. It's just a guarantee that if you believe, that's the way it happens, period. It's not about you. And if you believe it, it'll show up in your actions. This poor guy didn't have any more actions to show. <laughs> His actions were over. And that's the beauty of forgiveness and grace. That it's not about getting saved and doing all these works so you, so you get better before God. It's the reality that I'm already seated with Christ. I already have a home in heaven. Why aren't I living like it? Why aren't I living and telling people like Jesus did around me that I don't need anything you have because I have everything from him? None of it's mine. Take it. I don't care. It's not mine. It's his. He's going to be upset with you that you took it. You might want to repent because <laughs> it's his stuff. And when people say things to you, see, Jesus didn't take him as a personal offense. He knew they were rejecting the Godhead. And he was broken for them. Listen, where's your heart at? 
When you think about what Jesus did, that he came, he left heaven to be born as a baby, as a man, to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament, to become fully man and fully God so that he could die on a cross to make the ultimate eternal judgment on him, that he stands in heaven today and every time you sin, that sin is on Christ if you know him. That sin is put on him. See, God doesn't not judge you. God just judged Christ for you. Listen, if you believe that, it'll change your actions because you don't want to see someone you really love take another hit. So I don't want to keep sinning because I keep making the person that I say I love take another hit on my behalf, and I don't want to do that anymore. Lord, help me. Christians, help me. That, that's the response of a believer. That's this story so the question is, do you believe he's the Messiah? Do you believe he can save you? Do you believe with confidence that if you place your faith in him, you can have a promised home in heaven? Nothing. And if you have that home, what are you doing with it? Are you willing to pull yourself up on your cross and declare to the world that he is who he says he is? To declare to the world their need to be forgiven? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because that's the message of our book. Because it's the message for God.